honestly, it's not a tool at all. It's their body weight. Uh, I think people, and you know, I'm a fan of a lot of different tools. I, I use a lot of them, but uh, I think a lot of times people rush to grab a weight, grab a load, grab some, grab some implement to train with, and don't take enough time to own their body weight and own how they can move just, just without any external influence or, or load. Welcome to the Movement Code Podcast, where we help you decode movement, health, and lifestyle so that you can expand and grow. Hey guys, my name is Antonio Gurley, your host for the Movement Code Podcast. I am a father, husband, business owner, rehab practitioner, and coach. Information overload has paralyzed many of us, and we are overwhelmed with good intentions and don't know what or who to trust. We aim to provide you clarity and confidence by bringing you expert advice for the everyday person. Thanks for spending some time with me today and enjoy the episode. What's happening, guys? This is Antonio, your host of the Movement Code Podcast. This is episode 17, and I'm getting excited because we're getting we're pushing closer to the first 20 episodes. Now, I'm not going to lie. When I first uh, got this podcast rolling, I was hitting it full steam, had a bunch of interviews and everything set up, and it's kind of slowed down a little bit, and I apologize for not getting it posted on the week as I had hoped to do so, but uh, I'm wanting to make sure that I find, find the, best, um, the best guests and have really good conversations around information that's going to be pertinent rather than just throwing stuff out because it needs to be thrown out. So with that being said, today we have on the episode Matt Barrens. Uh, Matt Barrens has been in the field for uh, 20 years. Uh, he'll introduce himself here in a minute. But I really enjoyed this conversation because what what's really interesting is when you talk with someone who's been in, in the industry for a while, you get this sense of um, this kind of calm, collective, wisdom you know, old wise man type of thing. Not that Matt's old. I apologize, Matt. But someone that's had some experience, right? But yet is very humble and open to the fact that there's still a lot that we don't know. And that we're still learning and trying to trying to figure it out. While we have a lot of experience and we've done a lot of research and we figured things out, we're still trying to figure out how it applies to maybe that individual person or how it applies to this group of population, right? And it's never just like these absolute type of things. And what we what we get into, right, is trying to revert back to a little bit of simplicity, which to be honest, has been a theme before on this podcast. So, you know, maybe that's kind of important. But I hope you guys enjoy this. If you find some value for it, again, please share, post it, tag um, tag us on social media at Movement Code, at Enhanced Movement, at Matthew Barrons if you're looking him up on Instagram. Um, and uh, I hope you guys uh, really uh, really dig this. So uh, feel free to share your comments and, and your comments and um, uh, reviews as well. We'd love to see what's what's jiving with you guys and what topics you want to hear in the future. All right, here we go. All right, welcome back to the Movement Code Podcast. Uh, today on the episode, we have Matt Behrens. Uh Matt is a father, husband, a trainer, a coach, and an educator. And I'm going to let Matt go into a little bit more of his background and history uh, and what he's doing right now to give a, a more in-depth uh, um, uh, kind of synopsis of who he is. I, I mean, I like that that, that headline. It's trainer, coach, father, husband, yeah, educator. I think that that hits all the marks. Um, but yeah, I thank you for having me on. First, uh, this is this is great. Um, and yeah, I've been a. I always consider myself a, a trainer first. Um, I've been a trainer for a little north of twenty years, and really, this has been the industry that I've I've always wanted to be a part of, and, it, and it's just something that I've always done. You know. I, training, fitness, it's been part of my background since my, my three-year-old brothers forced me to uh, start lifting weights at a young age. Um, so that kind of set the cascade in motion of, you know, me getting into this realm. But I started off as a, as a trainer, got my degree in nutritional sciences, uh, and from there just worked basically as much as I possibly could, coaching athletes, coaching, uh, you know, general population, anybody in between. And, and honestly, I geared more towards coaching the the general population people that just wanted to feel better move better you know be healthier you know any of those kind of the, the wide spectrum of goals that one can have because that's where you can make a significant amount of change and that's where a lot of, of help is needed um so I, I spent a significant amount of time working with that type of clientele and then built up to where i, I worked for um, equinox for for quite some time uh as a trainer as a coach as a manager and then 
uh, for the last five years, I had, you know, prior to my departure from the company, had worked as the head of education. Um, and then throughout that entire time, I was also leading workshops and, and, and delivering education. Um, so it's a, that's where the, the trainer, coach, and educator piece comes into play. I, I'm not a, a teacher by trade, but it's something that I've, you know, built up to doing and, and really dove head first, you know, both as a trainer leading education, but also as uh, the head of education for a company. And, you know, how do you learn? How do, what, what's our proper learning process? Because honestly, us as trainers, we are teachers. You know, our, our curriculum, so to speak, falls in the realm of movement or nutrition or, you know, recovery. but we are still teaching some element of what people need to learn and having that knowledge of what it means to be a teacher really kind of helps connect with the connection piece and uh, really getting to know who and what your, your, your client needs and wants and how you can best get them to, to what their goals are. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, uh, I, I love that. And that's something that I am constantly, uh, so I'm, I'm newer in the game. Uh, I've been, so I've been a Cairo for now just over five years. I got my CSES just prior to that. Um, but it's really only been over the last like three years where I've been really pushing the training model and integrating such as Craig Liebenson and a lot of providers do is integrating the two models together is, is not just being dogmatic in that I'm only a chiropractor. Um, but the, the learning process has always been super intriguing to me is just, and, and I've taken some motor learning behavior courses in undergrad and whatnot, and trying to understand how the human body learns things. And it's interesting because you can go down a super deep dive rabbit hole with that and how application works and pros and cons to both. I think I got lost up in really getting very articulate about specifics and being like, this is a key element you need before you go on to the next step, but then kind of learning that you can blend and smooth things out a little bit more to get more out of that. So I'm curious your thought process as far as motor learning and more specifically how um, I guess the the client or the individual or the person who is doing it doesn't have to be client could just be you as an individual. Where do we need to be more specific about steps or where can we be a little bit more gracious with how we, how we go about that? You know, I, uh... I'll try to address the the first part, kind of in in a nutshell, the the motor learning part. You know, and this will be on a, a like a wide spectrum. It it's it, it's allowing from failure or not failure. It's allowing from mistakes. I guess is the better way to put it. Um, and this has its its anchors in in teaching and education as well as movement. You know, oftentimes, and, and I have a, a daughter who's who's one, and I have a three year old son. You know, you watch them learn to move they learn how to move through failure. They, they, they try to stand up, they fall. They, try, they, they go through that process over and over again until they, they get the balance, they get the, their ability to coordinate and uh, self-actualize all of the, the movement needs to keep them upright. But they go through a tremendous amount of failure beforehand. Now, the, the key piece in the, that kind of mistake process is that it's done in a safe environment where the, the risk of the mistake, it, it doesn't, carry a lot of weight you know you, you as a, a toddler you fall on your backside it's not a large fall so you're going to get back up and keep moving in the realm of training we can take that same approach where we can explore movement and learn new movement and that's where you know i'm a big fan of the idea of play when it comes to training because that really is how we learn to move as we get older and older as kids you explore and you make some mistakes but you do so in, a, in an environment or in a way that doesn't expose you to, you know, as an adult, risk of injury or, or you know, something that could set, kind of sideline you for, for a long period of time. Um, and so that's where, you know, the other piece of kind of motor learning and, and taking education comes into play is looking for ways you can create what's called desirable difficulty. Um, it's this idea that uh, you, you want to have that sweet spot of challenge where it's not too easy, where your motivation and engagement, you know, is low because you're just you're looking at, oh, I can easily do that. And it's not too hard uh, where, you know, you're out the gates just understanding, like, I'll, I'll never get that done. The, the, the imagery I often use in, in kind of talking about desired difficulties, like walking up a low hill as a mountain climber or trying to climb Mount Everest. Those are your two ends of the spectrum. One, so easy that it's not you no know, motivation. The other, so hard that it's no motivation. But you find the right size mountain for you to climb at this point in time, where you can be challenged but successful. 
Um, and so I think within movement and training and, you know, uh, you know anybody that's looking to, to do more, it's finding that kind of edge of ability where you're challenged, but you can still be successful. Um, you mentioned Dr. Liebenson, who I, I, I work with now quite a bit. Um, you know, one of the things he's very fond of saying is find the hardest thing they can do well. Um, that's really what you want to do. You want to get to that point where you find that movement is the hardest thing you can do well and really keep refining that and practicing that skill. Uh, that's that's such a good, I've never heard desirable difficulty before and I really like that. I, that resonates well and yeah, pretty uh, pretty much the same thing that Liebenson says, but for some reason that, I think the difficulty in there uh, yeah. and the desire really, really pairs really well together. Now, I was just thinking though, so coaching obviously helps reduce chances of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And we run into this, I'm, you know, obviously you've seen this more, more than I would have, but do we potentially rob progress with this? Like where, where could we, cause yes, we want to reduce their, mm-hmm. the kid safe environment training offers a higher risk, but we also want to increase the chances of mistakes so they can process that, that new learning adaptation approach. Yeah. Right. So as a coach, that's where it is the kind of the art and science of coaching. You know, it's where, to your first, you know, first statement, yeah, there are some coaches that I, I do think we rob some progress because we get in this habit of, as coaches, we want to fix and we want to be there and we want to, A, you know, whether it be because we want to make sure they're doing it right and we want to do the best by them, or B, we want to validate our, our presence there, but we overcoach the situation. We constantly are firing, you know, cues and fixes and this and that at the client instead of letting them figure it out a bit. And that not only robs progress in the sense that, you know, we are the ones constantly owning the movement, but also robs progress in the sense that they never get that autonomy over how they're moving. You know, the, the idea is that I want them to be able to do whatever they're doing with or without me there. So if, if they can only do it right because I'm firing, you know, cues at them, then that, that's not them learning. It's them being able to rehearse what I'm putting out to them. Um, in the same vein, uh, if I'm constantly firing cues on them, it's probably actually impeding their ability to learn because if they're constantly in their head thinking, I always give the example, if I'm a sprint coach and I give my sprinter, you know, 10 cues before they, they step up to the line, their performance is going to go down because I've taken something that should be a little autonomous or at least they uh, somewhat, you know, mindless to a degree. And now I've introduced so many things for them to think about. Um, so that's one side of it. Now, this is where, like I said, it's the art and science of, of coaching. You have to learn where to apply the, the allowable mistakes and where that you want to make sure they're set up for success so that those mistakes won't happen. And oftentimes that, that has to do with max, you know, the, the amount of loading or kind of the close you get to a maximal load. If I have somebody putting, you know, multiple plates on a barbell to get ready to do a deadlift, I don't want a mistake in the vocabulary of what they're about to do. But if I'm having somebody learn how to hip hinge or do something on a lower threshold, and I know they can manage the weight and it's now their learning process, I, I absolutely want to step back and be able to have somebody feel and explore and build this sense of awareness around how they move. Because what's music to my ears is not me saying, hey, did you see how this happened? It's when the, the, the person or the client turns around to me and says, hey, I noticed this or I felt this, when they have that sense of awareness, that's where it's like, oh, boom, you're, you're going to get it. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good example. And that's always the, the balance because it's, it's been interesting now transitioning, trying to take, especially when pain is involved and pain is such just like, it's just a wrench in the cogwheel for everything. There's so much fear avoidance into everything. And, and, and that's, you, the mistake for them is so ingrained in them. They're like, well, any mistake I've made in the past has been a major setback mm-hmm. and, and trying to encourage them to explore and fill things out. Cause that's the big autonomy, autonomy differentiator there, right? It's like, yeah. Hey, if you can figure out how to get out of it without me, that's, that's, that's huge. But there's so much guarding involved, which I think there's, there's good examples in that. Cause sometimes increasing the load gives them that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes taking it away does so it's 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 such a balance yeah i i mean it's you know this is where it it, it runs a spectrum of whether you're in the rehab setting or the performance setting it's putting in a position where they have where they can be successful and i think that's that's ultimately our goal as coaches and and you know 
the, there's the kind of the rehab to performance mindset where it's all, it's all training. You know, it's just, some things are just way more regressed versus some things are way more progressed, but it's all movement on the same, on a singular continuum. And it's all training. It's just where your starting point is. Uh, and as coaches, we can just, we want to find the things that, that allow our, our clients to be successful and to, to really have that movement. So again, going back to that desirable difficulty, making sure they are challenged, but you know, somebody you know, can't move through their hips, setting them up for a full pull off the floor with a barbell deadlift doesn't set them up, put them in a position for success. I can still have them deadlift, just may need to elevate the bar. And that's where the awareness around how you move and what you can do, not being beholden to, I have to do X or I have to do Y and, and really looking for some, some, you know, lateral uh, kind of entry points to the, to the movement itself. Now, I'm, I'm curious because obviously, um, and what I want to encourage, uh, actually, before I do this, because I always forget at the end, where can people connect with you best? <laughs> um, probably the, the, the two best places are either via Instagram, Facebook, or I guess the best places, Facebook is the separate Instagram, Facebook. Like, the, I, I was never one to say, oh, I'm going to be big on social media, but that, I guess now, I, now that's the world where I guess people can reach me on. Instagram or Facebook or email. Uh, I, anybody can email me and my email is just matthew.barents at gmail.com. And I'm happy to help out. It may take me a little bit to get back, but if somebody reaches out to me, I will, I'll definitely respond to them. Okay, perfect. I just want to make sure I got that because at the end we start chatting and I always forget. Um, but when you check out Matt on Instagram, that's where I follow most of his stuff. Um, you can see his awesome garage gym, which I'm a big fan of having a garage gym, especially in these COVID times. It mm -hmm. helps a lot. Um, but Going back to the conversation of making mistakes and, and work and play, and obviously I, I have a feeling of what the answer is just because you have these tools that you utilize. Where do these different non-traditional tools such as the Viper, the Kettlebell, and the Maces come into play? Do you find that it's it's most people respond well to that? Do you find that it's almost too awkward and people are just like, ah, shit, I don't know what to do with these types of things? I think it's once people get past the intimidation factor of some of them. Um, that's where you get more of an acceptance and, and that's honestly uh, intimidation can impede movement and, and the fluidity of movement because you're just you're worried about what you're going to do but once you build the level of comfort and, and bring it down because a lot of people will see those tools like they see a mace and all they see is people swinging around and you know doing some real crazy things with them and they think oh wow i can't do that they don't realize oh no it can just be an offset loading tool something that just weights you to one side more than the other um you know, same with like a Viper. Viper is one of the most versatile tools that, that I've been able to use in my in my training history because it can literally set up to where you are focusing on recovery and kind of restorative poses and just adding some subtle loading to those positions and postures, or you can go full bore performance with it. And it just challenges the body in a, a you know, a slightly different way than, than what traditional kind of vertical loading does with, you know, barbells, dumbbells, um, because of the way you're able to, to move it and the programming that's behind it. Um, so I, the, I think this all just comes back to once people are comfortable with the tool and they, they get some exposure to really what can be done with it, then it's understanding where there, there are a variety of starting points. You know, you don't have to be doing the, the wild, crazy things. You can just use it to do some real subtle work and real uh, subtle challenges to the body. So what's, what's funny about the Viper is um, uh, when I first started re-following re you, because there's a preface to this story, um, I started following. I was like, oh, I love this stuff. It's really cool stuff. I like utilizing all the same tools. And then I was cleaning up my phone one day because my storage was full. And at the very top of my photos is I had a screenshot of you doing some Viper work from like 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 a year or two years ago. And I then I just I was like, oh, damn, it's, it's, it's the same. So it was, it was pretty cool because I, lo I loved seeing the Viper stuff um, that you were doing early on and then transitioning to more what I was following now. But I think what's important to remember too for a lot of individuals, because right now with COVID and a lot of other stuff, is there's, there's a ton of tools. Like you said, it's not, the tool is just one tool. Obviously having more tools helps with the individual and where they're at and whatnot. But I think a lot of times people get also some times very confused and I'm the same thing I'm like kind of shiny object oh this is really cool I need to try that or I need to try yeah. that just remembering that it's a it's one avenue a lot of times you can do the same thing with you know just a kettlebell offset or whatever that's why we do single arm and all that different stuff yeah absolutely the the honestly the the tool really isn't 
anything special to so to speak you know pick what you think you're gonna and I, I this is where i'll come back to also the the play side of things and and, and movement exploration is part of training should also be what you enjoy so pick a tool that you think you're going to enjoy using and you may not know and you because you've never used it and you're kind of flying blind but pick something that you think like oh man that looks really interesting because that you know that enjoyment that that you know, desire to want to work with the tool, that's going to create that engagement and consistency. But the tool really doesn't matter because you can, like you said, I can offset load with a kettlebell, a viper, a mace, a club, a, a body, you know, body weight. I, it doesn't, you don't need a lot. Um, and then once you're, once you're there, once you're using, picking the tool that you want to use, stick with it. You know, this is, and you kind of made the, the comment, the, the, the shiny object and, and seeing a lot of things out there. I think one of the biggest challenges a lot of, and, and I fall into this trap myself, is the idea of program hopping. Like you, you, you start something and you're like, oh wait, look at that. I want to do that now. And then you jump to that and you never give the program that you're on time to actually do the work it, it, it was going to do. So, you know, pick the tool that you want to use or pick, you know, depending on what you have access to, pick the multiple tools you want to use. But once you come up with an idea of how you're going to train the program that you're going to be on, stick to it. Give it a chance to, to work. Give yourself a chance to learn those movements and then to load those movements. I think that's the other piece of it is just this, always this constant changing of, you know, exercises and movements and what you're doing. You never actually give yourself body to, you give your body chance to, to actually own that pattern and then be able to load it and, and stress it even more. And that's where, you know, I'll use the, the three three words of, play, practice, train, where you play is your exploration. You start kind of playing with different movements and you get, get some ideas and figure some stuff out. And then you practice, which means refining that skill. And you, you, you now, once you've identified a movement through play, you practice it and, and figure out how you can make it a little bit better. And then once you feel confident in your form and confident in how you perform your, your technique, that's where you get after the training side of things. And you can really start pushing the envelope either on speed or intensity. How often do you revert back to play? Like All the time. Like, like I, I try to, when I look at my, the overall complex of my program, I try to have at least a uh, percentage, sometimes smaller, sometimes bigger, of time where I'm always just playing something. Um, and it could be body weight. It could be... And those are often the things that I don't record because it's just me like trying not to hit myself with a, a weight or, you know, trying to just figure out a particular movement, but I'll, I'll get an idea and I'll test it out. And that's, that's where, or I'll get a tool and I'll just see how have I not moved this in the past. Uh, but I always have a little bit of play because that's also fun. It should bring play just as it does for our kids, bring a smile to your face when you're, when you're doing it because you're, you're, kind of make yourself look like a fool a little bit, which I, I do lovingly, I mean, but it allows you to open up different opportunities. And that's, it also brings us back to that desirable difficulty and allowing for, for mistakes because within that play realm, I'm often not with a heavy load. I'm, I'm just playing with a, a movement pattern or playing with a way of getting at, getting after the movement. Um, and then that will transition into the practice piece. And I, I spend a ton of time in the practice side. Um, I've worked with, you know, for instance, I've worked with kettlebells since 2006. I think I took my first kettlebell certification, and I still consider myself practicing the swing. And that's the, one of the first things you learn in kettlebells, and it's the foundation of a lot of movements. But you're you're never too good not to practice the the, the components of what you're doing and the technique that you can, you're you're going after. Yeah, and you you've made a very important distinction is lighter load. I mean, so often what we run into is, and I was in this time frame. Now I pretty much fluctuate. And we, we had some, some uh, social media conversations in the past, just with kids and everything is just like, I fluctuate between pretty much playing practice at this point in season of my life. Training is not even really an option. Uh, obviously it could be, but it's very difficult, but understanding that when you're in this play practice component, you can't be doing like strength and even your training cycles can't just be build, 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 build. I think so often people there's no opportunity to play a practice just because you're always trying to go heavier. Yeah. And you, you called it out and made reference to, to your own experience. You have to, as an individual, you know, I mentioned the word awareness around movement and awareness around how, how you move, but you also have awareness around your environment and your situation. You know, you, 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 
if you have a small child and they're not sleeping through the night and you're not getting a lot of sleep and you're constantly up, it, like if you, if you don't have a ton of time and you're not getting a lot of recovery, then that isn't the time to try to really chase PRs. Like you're not, you, they, but say it's be aware of what your, your environment and situation is like, but also what are your goals? If your goals are to, you know, to get ruthlessly strong, then you may need to spend the, you know, to think in the terms, in terms of percentages, you know, 80% of your program may need to be in the kind of the training realm. And, and when I say train, you know, you're, you're still got to, you're not pushing to the red line all the time because that, that's a separate issue, but you're, you're, you're trying to build strength. And then you got another 10% in play in practice because that allows you to add some movement variability in there and allows you to, you know, keep yourself from being just restricted to one singular path of, of, of training. But if that's not your goal, your goal isn't to get brutally strong, then look at what your goal is and and see how you can you can best approach it. So, you know, for myself, I'm I'm in a similar similar boat as you. I I'm often crunched on time. I'm often training at you know nine o'clock at night after a long day, and I just want to get some some movement in. Feel like I've I've challenged myself in some way, shape, or form, and that can challenge can come in many different forms. It can come from the way in which I'm moving, the load I'm using, the amount, the volume I'm I'm working with, the, the amount of repetitions or sets, and so there's not just one way that it has to be done. Um, and I guess the the final thought along these these paths is also giving yourself the permission to know that you and nobody that really performs at a high level does this either. You don't have to crush yourself in every workout. The, the leaving a workout feeling like you you've been beaten down doesn't mean the workout was successful. It just means it was it was hard. Really, honestly, what we need to make sure is we're giving ourselves the permission to sometimes go in there, just move, have an easier workout to save for a, a harder workout later when you have gotten the, the sleep that you need or you, you've eaten well or, or whatever, you know, whatever steps you need to take to make sure you can perform at a higher level. What is what is your audit system look like? So I'm thinking like um, when I'm looking at – you know, writing a program or kind of working with an individual, we're looking for KPIs or other certain things that we want to quote unquote focus on. How, like for a listener who's maybe not working with a coach, mm-hmm. just because again, I'm, I always encourage people, this is the, the exploration in place. I'd like, Hey, you might as well try it on your own. If you yeah. fail, you can reach out to a coach. But when someone's trying to determine what things they should be focusing on doing, whether that would be sleep, nutrition, or different things like that, how do you kind of run your audit system to give someone kind of like a framework of what might work well? You know, when I, I create a, a prioritization in terms of what, what to start with or what, what, what should take precedent over the other things. And, and in those broad categories, you know, sleep, nutrition, and movement, Sleep is probably, if that's not on, again, this is dependent upon your goals, but if that's not on point, if your sleep is off you're, and, you know, there may be things that, you know, when my daughter was three months old, somebody telling me to sleep more really wasn't exactly a, a good suggestion. But barring that type of, uh, of experience, um, if your sleep is off, that's probably the first place to start because that can, that influences everything down the chain. So if your sleep's off, it's been shown that, you're going to make some less than ideal choices when it comes to nutrition, just be, you know, do the fatigue and, and you know, decision-making process. If your sleep's off, you're not going to be recovered. And so your energy levels for training are going to be lower and your, your uh, ability to learn and move is going to be reduced. So your the sleep is a, a real big linchpin to how we are able to actually perform. Um, so in, when I say sleep is off, so if you're not getting, if you're getting six hours of sleep a night, you know, I'm I'm not saying you need to tomorrow get eight hours of sleep because this is all about you know being aware of what you can do and making sure you're setting yourself up for success, be it in movement or behaviors. It's looking at okay, can you get you can you go to bed 15 minutes earlier tonight, or can you go to, can you wake up 15 minutes later? Um, you have to take an audit of where you're at and what you can do and make some small steps. It doesn't have to be big grandiose overtures of, of I, I need to add an hour. It's unless you can do that, but you know, add 15 minutes here or improve the sleep environment. So that that's the first part of the answer. I, I always buy a sleep first and then uh, looking at training and nutrition and movement and nutrition, uh, you, know, you can you can address both of those. You know, again, takes with nutrition, take small steps to, to address specific habits. And an easy way, I've used the word a couple of times, and this, it's even more so important, 
uh, in the realm of nutrition, create awareness for yourself. Oftentimes when we eat, we, we do so kind of unconsciously, so to speak. So you know, I, I have the picture of my dad. He'll sit in a chair and eat a soup of crackers without even thinking about it and not even realize he's made it through them. And you know, if, you, if you force yourself to sit down and you know, do a food log and, and just keep track of what you're eating, I, I guarantee you'll uncover some things like, oh, wait, I do eat a lot of that. Where I, you, You've convinced yourself you don't, but the reality is when you put it on paper, you, you do. And that's it. Creating that awareness is a, is a good first step. And then you can progress from there and you can just look for the low hanging fruit, like, Oh, I can swap this out or I can, I can tweak this. And you'd be surprised how one thing, one thing gets to another. I, I like the phrase success begets success. You make one small change, you get successful there. That's going to lead to the next small change, the next small change. And that aggregates over time and, and you can kind of build up. Um, so that's the realms of sleep and, and nutrition. When it comes to movement, you know, one thing I, I always audit is where my recovery levels are. And an easy thing that somebody can do on their own, which uh, I do for myself, is I wear a heart rate monitor pretty much all the time. Um, it's an easy way for you to track where your stress is at, how your body's responding. Um, because we, we tend to be relatively consistent. It's not always the same, but we can be consistent with what our resting heart rate would be. And if I am consistently around 60 beats per minute, and now I'm wearing my watch and it's telling me I'm at 70 beats per minute, that's, that's a significant increase in, in, in where my resting heart rate is. And that, that's indicating to me that I may not be recovered. And so I'd probably take it a little bit easier in my workouts versus if everything's normal, then I can progress forward, assuming all else is, all else is doing well. Do you, do you monitor that heart rate? consistently throughout the day or is it more prior to your training i'm just thinking because like i'm like as a parent i'm literally drinking this right now it's 4 30 in the afternoon i and i after this after we wrap up i will be doing this thing um but i i, I for me i do it consistently throughout the day. i'm also a little odd i i just i wear my watch 24 7 unless it needs to be charged so um i sleep with it on i i wear it at all times so that's i take that consistently but if you don't want to do that you can pick a consistent time of day where you can consistently measure your heart rate. Um, so if you can do it in the morning, right when you wake up, great. Um, if you do it every day at noon, it, it's the consistency piece that can be a big factor because if you are variable, you take it one day at 7 a.m., one day at noon, one day at 5, there's a lot of different noise that's going to impact what that, that number is going to be. So if every day you take it at noon, you may have gone through some stress, but typically it's as long as it's an average day and you can see what your day is like, you know, if you just had a real rough morning, then you, you'll know why your heart rate's up probably. Um, but if everything's, if everything's equal and it's an average day and you're always taking that at noon, then you can use that as your reference point. What, what watch do you wear for those that are um, curious? I have a, a Garmin Phoenix six. Um, it's, so I got this one and this also leads into the, the movement side of things. I have this one because a, I just, I like to watch It's good. It's a, a versatile training watch and you can use it for hiking and running and pacing and all that. Um, but then B, I can also, it has both an optical sensor on the back of it to where I don't have to wear a chest strap. Then also pairs with a chest strap. Um, hmm. I, I, you know, since I train a lot with kettlebells and uh, with kettlebells, you're often holding the bell in a rack position. I don't like to wear a watch when I train. So I just wear the chest strap and that gives me a very accurate picture of where my heart rate response is to training. Is the optical and the ch chest strap fairly accurate together? Uh, the optical is accurate up to a point with the chest strap. The optical is accurate at lower intensity. So if you're wearing it around day to day, um, if you're going for a light, light jog or a light run or you're walking, it'll be pretty accurate there. When you start getting to higher intensities and doing interval work, that's where you can start seeing some disconnect. Um, and that's the case with a lot of optical sensors. It, it just, yeah. once you get to a higher intensity, it just, you, you, because of, if nothing else, the, the movement of the watch on your wrist, that can create noise in how it's reading your, your heart rate. Um, so that's why I like wearing the chest strap because that can give me the most accurate read of where my heart rate is. Um, and that kind of leads back to how I know what, if I'm ready to train or not, because if I'm doing something I had, and this is all about kind of building historical reference for yourself. Um, if I do 10 kettlebell swings, I know that typically, you know, after a while, we'll get my heart rate to uh, 140 beats per minute. But today, I'm, I, it's getting me up to 150, 160. Again, that's a, I'm taking an information of, oh, well, 
maybe I'm not quite recovered yet. This, this is the, the heart rate's a good kind of system check mark of like how is your body responding to the stress you're putting on it. Now, do you d- does does Garmin hook up? Because so I was using optical on it was like HR. What was it? it was an app? It's like HRV something. Mm-hmm. Um, HRV tra- HRV for training, um, where it, it it sets it up and puts like algorithms on like heart rate variability and things mm-hmm. like that. Do you do you plug that in to like get more of that information, or you just kind of use heart rate in general as like you know yourself? Typically, I'll use heart rate in general just because it's a, a consistent read. But the Garmin and I have done this in the past. Check does HRV as well, and so if you do get the chest strap, basically it'll it'll have you do it at a consistent time. I believe it has you do it'll, it'll take reads while you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wore the, the chest strap while I was sleeping. And so that's, you can do that with the Garmin. Now I'll do that periodically, but for ease of, of execution, kind of, I, I like reducing the amount of steps to doing anything. Yeah. I, I, I just use the heart rate cause it's an easy read. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like even just, it was on the phone, my alarm goes off and I could do it, but I just, after a while you just end up being like, ah, <laughs> exactly. And so with this, because, it, because I always have it on and I'm constantly, it's constantly reading. I can just click a button down and oh, there's my my average heart rate, and I it's easy for me to take a look at. Now, have you ever toyed around with like CO two tolerance testing in relationship to that ready state kind of variable? I haven't. I, I read the book Oxygen Advantage, which talks, which goes kind of in depth on CO two tolerance and being able to kind of some of the drills you can do. So they have a, a it's not tech based; it's just a, a manual test where you know you're timing how long you can. Um, hold your breath on an exhale and you know while you're moving uh, just at a walk pace and that can that can give you some insight as to what your co2 tolerance is so I played with that um, but not with any any type of technology or anything like that the the, the garment it, it's not not to you know champion garment by any means so uh, it does also do um, a, a pulse ox read so you can uh, get some information on, on where you're at there yeah, that, that's that's pretty cool. I was always curious. I haven't done too much of the CO two as well, just because uh, it's again, it's uh, I'm, I'm blaming one hundred percent parent brain fog here. But uh, uh, I think it's I think it's interesting to kind of just understand. It's one of just a tool that you'd be able to utilize if you don't a smartwatch or something like that. You can test to see. You know, if you're uh, there's other ones too where you do like a max exhale to see how long your exhale is before. Yep response to that and this can all be trained too which is indicative of your of your overall training and things like that as well Mm -hmm. Uh, i was just curious if you've kind of tinkered around with that um now i'm curious um as far as kind of your educational role to other trainers um Mm -hmm. and this is this is this might be a little bit more relevant for trainers or other clinicians who might be listening how how do you do you use more behavioral i'm trying to think of the way to ask this um uh, more behavioral profiling to try to understand the client better as how to uh, how to address certain things. So, like one thing comes to mind, right? As you as you already stated with the nutrition, when most people talk about like nutrition or training, we know the answer. Like, mm-hmm. I want to lose weight. How do I lose weight? I, I just globally think really quick of what I ate over the last couple of days. I was like, oh shit, yeah, I know why or how I could. Mm-hmm. Most of us know the answer, but we're not quite motivated or we have excuses or we're stuck in our patterns. If they know the answer and you understand the profile, how do you get people to understand who that person is so that you can maybe even push them a little bit harder or who needs to have a little bit more reserved conversation about certain things? I think the the number one thing we look at when when work with trainers and getting and teaching them to work with clients on on how to help them with their behavior change is really understanding first everything you do needs to be client-centered in the sense that they're the you know they're the captains of the ship they they're the ones that know themselves the best so to speak and you're there to help guide them through making some choices um oftentimes we we come in guns blazing with here's things you can do here's things you can do and really, as a, you know, as a species, independent of, of subject matter, we humans don't like to be told what to do. We don't, we don't like to be said, like, no matter how good of a, net, a, a thing it is for us, we don't like to be told what to do. And so if you come in and say, hey, do this, do that, that it, it oftentimes, you'll get some compliance, but oftentimes it leads to you know, non-compliance over time because people just start falling off or they don't want to be told what to do anymore. So what, we are, what we'll look at is flipping it in, putting the, the client in the driver's seat, and this is where I come back to that word of awareness, of 
having them come to the, you know, if it's in the realm of nutrition, asking them, okay, hey, can you, do you have the ability and, and giving them the option, creating an environment where they can say no, but do you have the ability to do a food law? Great. You reserve any judgment, let them do that. And then you talk to them and ask them about, hey, do you, what do you see in here that maybe could change? And it's through a conversation where you build up to providing them with options. You don't tell them what to do, but say, okay, because you don't want, you're not, you're not advocating your role as the professional. Um, but what you can do is you can come up with options, say, so based on what we talked about, here are some things, here are some three options that I think could be very helpful for you. Which do you think would be the best? Which one do you think you can be the most successful on? Because by going through that process, by giving them the option, putting them in the driver's seat, they're making the choice and coming up with a plan. That gives them autonomy. By making the decision themselves, they have more skin in the game. Next, that's where if they said, oh, I'll do option A, and I know I can do it, you know, you, well, you, well, I often use the, the out of 10 scale. You know, if, they, if I say, okay, you want to go with option A, how confident are you on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being absolutely the most confident that you can do that every day as we defined it? And if they tell me anything other than uh, 8, 9, or 10, then it, we need to shrink the change. And oftentimes, clients will potentially overshoot, and that's where you give them some chance to, to fail and make some mistakes. And, but you can't always can come back to them and say, okay, you said you wanted to do this. It didn't quite happen. There's no judgment. That's the other piece of it. Like, there's no berating. There's no telling, oh, well, how dare you not stick to your habit? You, you, you just very matter-of-factly say, hey, I see your challenge in getting this done. What, what was your, your biggest obstacle? Oh, I, I could only do half of it. Oh, let's shrink the change. Let's, let's readjust our target and then build them back up. It's a bit of a dance. Um, so that's kind of point number one. It's really finding an opportunity to put the client in the driver's seat to be that, that guide by the side, so to speak, of how can I help you make the decisions, make the choices, and be an owner over your, uh, over your health and wellness. Um, second to that, when it came to the realm of teaching, we taught uh, a way of coaching and a way of look, working with the client that really acknowledged the learning environment that we were trying to create. And, and we used a model called the SCARF model. Um, and basically, it's, a, it's, uh, it's pulling from the world of learning and development. You know, in, in what it does is it looks at how can we create an environment where the client feels safe and comfortable to learn. And this can be in the realm of nutrition, training, whatever the case may be. And, and the SCARF model stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Um, so the, the status piece. You know, when I when a client comes in, we have to recognize that they're coming in potentially to an environment where, you know, outside of the gym world, they they could be captains of industry, you know, have their, um, you know, the absolute expertise in, in their areas and every other aspect of the world, but they're coming into the the facility and it's an environment where they don't 100% feel comfortable or they're they're no longer that that expert. Um, so. Us knowing that that may be the case, if we acknowledge their status, they identify their superpowers, identify things that they do really well, build them up, uh, you know, champion successes, that, that puts them back in that kind of higher you know, kind of social order, so to speak, to where they don't feel talked down to. I think a lot of times trainers, again, not maliciously, but will use large words and then try to justify their, their knowledge base. But at, at times, train, clients read that as, oh, this person's trying to make me feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so if we acknowledge that we have to uh, you know, elevate their status, that allows us to ensure that they feel comfortable. They don't feel like they're being kind of belittled, so to speak. Um, certainty is, is uh, I like saying the phrase, uh, save surprises for birthday parties. Uh, certainty is, allows us to ensure that the client knows what's going on. And that can be a very simple, very, that can be as simple as, giving a quick debrief of, hey, this is what we're going to work on, or this is what the program is. It's just bringing them into the fold. Don't tell, discuss. Like That's, that's an easy way for us to create a high level of certainty. We talked about autonomy. That's, that's a way for us to build that, that, that ability to own what they're doing. I, that, that's, that's really huge, and I like that because I know just early on, and especially as like a younger professional, right, you want to try to prove. And, and part of this is just I think it just gets really muddled and confused by – by what you're trying to do from it and by not only promoting your business because people direct you, you're trying to be the expert opinion, right? Mm -hmm. When you're the expert opinion, it's very hard to bring yourself down to the level that's chatting with the consumer at the level that they want without also 
you know, demeaning, not demeaning, but trying to like bring down what you're trying to do. Cause you're trying to show like, Hey, we can help you, but also time we're trying to meet you at that. So it's, I think that's a very awesome way of putting it as far as bringing and mending those two models mm -hmm. together, because they're also coming to you as the expert. So they don't have all the answers, but they have enough of the answers where they want to be for the most part involved in the process. Yeah, everybody wants to wants to have a kind of some stake in the game, so to speak. They they want to be a part of the part of the process. They recognize that you are the one that can give them more information, that you're the, the expert in this world, but they also don't want to be spoken down to. They they want to be acknowledged. And one of the, the a great way you can do it is by looking at what they do do in their outside life. You know, if somebody's a you know, it's a, a great example of somebody's an amazing scheduler. Like they have their schedule on lock. Like they know what they're doing every day and what times, and you can tell this by talking to the person. So they'll, they, like, if you try to schedule a time with them, they'll riddle off the things they have to do. And you know, like, uh, like and you can even say, like, oh, it sounds like you're you're really good at keeping a schedule. Well, champion that because that can go a long way in consistency with training and knowing when they need to eat. Like that's a way that you can highlight the superpower that the client has. They just don't see as a superpower in this realm yet. And that's that's it's really what we want to do for our clients is build up what they, they, they feel confident doing and bringing, uh, bringing their other world experience into the realm of the world that we know, because that's, that's going to make them, you know, better and being able to have that, that autonomy and doing what they need to do. Yeah, that's, uh, I love that champion success and superpowers. I love it. That's, that's really cool. Um, so I, uh, I want to, I want to kind of wrap it up here because I, I know your little kids are taking a nap right now and that is capital that for those <laughs> of you who don't have kids nap is when you capitalize. Yeah. <laughs> um, so two, two final questions here. Uh, I'm going to ask the first one as part two. For the okay. second part, so kind of give you a chance to think about it in the background. Uh, I try to leave the listeners with the, with a the challenge. Uh, it, might, it may or may not be um, directly correlated to what we've been talking about, um, but it could be, you know, a, an element of repeats over the next week. We challenge you guys to do this every single day. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be the second question. The first question is, what is what is the most underutilized tool in the gym that you, that, that you think people aren't taking advantage of? Honestly, it's not a tool at all. It's their body weight. Uh -huh. uh, I think people, and you know, I'm a fan of a lot of different tools. I, I use a lot of them, but uh, I think a lot of times people rush to grab a weight, grab a load, grab some, grab some implement to train with, and don't take enough time to own their body weight and own how they can move just, just without any external influence or, or load. Um, Cause that can be very telling. And this is where it comes back to that ability to really own that play part of things where if your body weight, that's ultimate, that that's your ultimate play environment because you have nothing else weighing down upon you. And now you can feel, do I truly, can I truly do this movement? Because if you can only do it with an external implement, then you don't own that movement. So I, I, I'd say that's probably the the most underutilized um yeah it is so it's not another way not a tool no i mean well i mean like you said everything's a tool right but yeah, exactly. I, I mean i feel it's i'm glad you said that because i'm kind of uh literally just today i was talking with people i was like we need to get you some more weight we need to get you stronger under some uh you know get get you some more resistance and and yet i know they could be doing a lot more with with their body weight but i think it's also a balance right because yeah. part, of, part of the motivation with that is um, my biggest concern and this is again being a little bit greener in the industry and for those that are the same way you're going to feel this exact same thing is like you want to be able to give more you never want someone to feel like they're not being mm -hmm. uh, challenged enough and of course they see heavier weight they're going to feel more challenged exactly yeah. but at the same time not doing something so difficult with body weight because it is harder for you to move in certain positions where it's like, well, this is dumb. I don't want to do it at all. And that's where I'm always in this balance of like, I want to be able to challenge you with body weight, but I know you also want more. So how do you, how do you put those two together? And I, and I think that's ultimately, you know, one, uh, just to, to make sure I'm clear, I'm not, you know, knocking weight by any means. I love putting heavy things overhead. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I love, I love <laughs> so it. It's just, the body weight side of things, if you're choosing the pattern or choosing the movement that you know, is challenging, that, that's ultimately what, it, what we want is we want that challenge. Whether that challenge comes from putting a bar on my back or trying to do a single leg squat, 
it, it's still going to be a challenge. And that, I think to your point, your point's spot on, we got to find the way to increase that challenge. And this is, again, this is where it comes back you know, to the art and science coaching. You find ways to challenge them and create a, a, a stress on the body that sometimes it's going to be via weight because exactly as you're calling out, when they see the plates add to the bar, that's a, that's a big motivator. They, they can tangibly and physically see things are going up. But you also want to increase movement literacy, and so that's where you can create some different challenges in the patterns. And that's, that's also an awareness and aha moment for them to, to try to be challenged because then you can also empower them to do stuff on their own. When you don't need equipment, you can do it at home. Yeah, I mean, and I'm just thinking about Chris Summers, the uh, U.S. gymnastics coach. He his his book of uh, I should I can't remember the title of it, but it's body weight training essentially, mm -hmm. and showing simple progressions with just squatting and push-ups, and how he made extreme athletes on just doing body weight training. Yeah, you you don't you don't need a ton, and and so that's where it does bear, lower the barrier to entry to where you know if you can get equipment, great. If you can't, you can still do a lot with just body weight, and you know you can. You have common household items if you want external load, but there's there's a way that you can always challenge yourself. I know, like people right now, especially with COVID, like price points for a lot of things are jacked yeah. up, and it's hard to get it. I'm like, hey, just go to Home Depot, buy a sandbag, duct tape the hell out of it, and there you go, five exactly. bucks, you have fifty pounds. Yeah, there, you want to, you know, and I have this, I have a couple of these. Especially early on in kind of COVID times, I, I did a series of posts where I was showing kind of how you can use household items, you know, to to recreate training implements. Um, if you don't, if you want a suspension trainer, like a TRX and you don't have access to one, you can use a bed sheet to do that. Like, it, like yeah. there, are, there are different ways you can do it. And so it's just sitting down and being a little creative. You know, if you have a book bag laying around or you have some suitcase, there's, there's ways to do it if you want external load. But then there's a lot of, like you called out, there's a lot of resources out there around, um, around body weight training. Like they're, they're just phenomenal avenues where you can go down different paths of like animal flow is one of them. Like, yeah. Big fan. That, that's, that's tremendous amount of play where you're just, you're trying to figure out different patterns, different ways to move. And it also, uh, you, I, can, I can definitely go down a rabbit hole here, but it also puts you in a position when you're training body weight that often also puts you on the floor quite a bit. And as we mm -hmm. get older, we don't really spend a ton of time on the floor, which is, is not a good thing. We, we should be rolling around. Because if you don't spend a ton of time on the floor and suddenly you trip and find yourself on the floor, you may not be able to catch yourself or be as kind of resilient to that, that, that impact. So being able to roll around and being able to kind of engage with the floor, it really does pay, pay dividends. And oftentimes we're forced there by as being parents. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. With with now COVID and a lot more online programming and 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 whatnot and and how you've worked with other coaches and trainers, mm -hmm. how do you suggest coaches and trainers program this and, and and communicate that? I mean, obviously we're talking about low 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 risk here, right? We're talking about body weight play. Is it more just kind of like, hey, I want you to watch this video and I want you to just replicate it? I would say, and it's I would just continue to stress that point, like. Simplicity is simplicity is key. So you know, be it with the, the movement pattern or the load, or, or if, it's, if you're uh, using body weight, particularly the movement pattern. But go simpler the better, because that sets somebody up for success. Um, as a trainer, and you're you're writing a, a program from somebody, and they're going to follow it themselves. My, if you have the ability to do it, I would highly recommend at least some sort of initial consult or interaction, and in, it can be very simply via Zoom. Right, where you can just get some reference point for how the person moves. Um, because if you're just throwing something out there and kind of hoping it works for them, you may be putting them up, putting them in a position to do something where they just, they're not capable of doing it. Yeah, totally. And so if you have the ability to, to get a sense of how somebody's moving, do that. And it can just be a simple, you know, take them through a, a basic movement screen where you're just, you're watching them squat, like go through the basic patterns. Watch them squat body weight. Watch them lunge body weight. See if they can balance on one leg. See if they can touch their toes. Can they reach overhead without, you know, giving away at their uh, at their back? So there, there's some basic patterns, and you just have to look at how you're going to ask them to train and regress to like, well, what what fundamental movement do they need to be able to do to be able to do these training exercises? And then from there, yeah, find. I'd say a lot of it would be also connecting with the client, find what's going to be the most instructive for them. Oftentimes video and demo is going to be a, a real 
you know, big way of doing it, an easy way of doing it, because then they can just follow along and they have that as a reference point. But sometimes people like a written out description. You know, connect with your, your client, under, get, get to understand how do they want to be coached, because that's going to yeah. be very helpful for them. Um, the point. Yeah, just uh, and allow them to play, allow them, allow them to explore um, and understand that, like I said, you start off simply and then you can build over time. And that's, you know, as you're as they own those simpler programs, that's where you can start introducing some some exploration, some play. And that's that's where your videos can come in. You can, you know, give them a challenge of, hey, try this a couple of times and see how you like it. And you're the what you ask of the client is report back to me how this feels. What did you what did you notice? How'd your body respond? Yeah, you know, and it asks them to be aware of what they're doing. And I, I love that last point you made. And I try to communicate that with who I'm working with, but anyone else that I'm working as a patient or something else who's who's taking classes elsewhere is a lot of times, especially in the group setting, which which is natural, is there's not enough client coach interaction. Most people mm-hmm. assume like, hey, I'm not hurting, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. But but if you're if, for the listeners who are in group classes, is you know, coaches want to hear just like, hey man, that was awesome. Yeah. Or like, I really enjoyed this. This felt great on this, this, and that. There's not enough communication in my mind, especially in the group classes. So if you are a member of a gym and you're doing a group class and you're working with some coach of some capacity, tell them, even if you enjoy it, it's always good to know that. So. Yeah, coaches, and you're 100% right. Oftentimes, you know, if you're working in the group setting, even in the one-on-one setting, you're, you yeah. kind of just go along because you, you – you you believe the coach kind of they're the expert they're the ones that knows what to do and you just kind of you fall along but I, I will tell you hands down coaches want the feedback and they want to hear from you if something's going great and you're loving it let them know because that lets them know they're on the right track even more so and this is the one that, that often is harder if something's not going right and you're not liking or it's not working for you or or whatever give that feedback they you know a coach does not want to be doing the wrong thing and so if you you know, if you're working in a group class, there's they don't need to create something wholly special for you. There's just a tweak that may need to happen to mm-hmm. change how you know the type of movement, maybe a little a step up or a step down, whatever the case may be. But the coach wants to hear. Don't what I say is don't suffer in silence. Don't think like oh I'm just going to do it. Yes. Like you said, just it's not hurting, so I'll just keep going. Give that feedback. That way the coach can make some put some thought into it. Yeah, or even at worst, it is hurting, but I think I'm yeah. supposed to be doing it, so I don't say exactly. Yeah, and if it's hurting, <laughs> even more so, just yeah, take that step back and no, get, get let that coach know because there's always an opportunity to do something different. Yeah, awesome. Uh, all right, so let's let's wrap this up. Challenge, and I got one in the back of my head, depending on what you come up with. So I might add on to it, but I like some of the things you said. So what what's a good challenge we can give the listeners for the week? Hmm. I'm trying to yeah, I was trying to think through this as as we were talking. Like, what what would be a good thing for them? To listeners to to try out um i would say here's the here's the challenge and it starts off with because i've used the word a lot so i'm going to ask you to do this create a create an awareness for yourself and how you're moving and so what i mean by that is if you're currently working out and you're currently following a program of some sort or doing doing exercises in some way shape or form do an audit of what you've been doing and see the are you biasing yourself to moving in one way, in, in one kind of uh, common pattern? Are you doing, are you missing a way of moving, so to speak? That, that's what I'm trying to get at, is create an awareness around where your gaps may be. So go back and look at what you've been doing. And they can, you can go off memory, or if you keep a training log, go look through your training log. But look at, are you doing all squatting and no deadlifting? Are you mm-hmm. doing um, all pushing and no pulling? Like where are you omitting load any type of carries? But create an awareness around what you're doing, and then fill that gap. Yeah. You know, so it's not as specific as do this exercise or do that. It, this is where you can make it unique to your to your own experience as a client or as a as a uh, somebody that's exercising. But look at what you're doing and see what could you be adding to. What what are you missing? Where where are your gaps? Um, there are you know basic movements that we should all be doing within our programming. So you should be pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, and lunging, and doing some carries. And you know, look at those different categories and see: Are you missing one of them? Is something kind of not not being given the the respected needs? And just pick an option that you can do to fill in that gap. No, that's great. And uh, right as you're saying that, I'm going through my own audit on mine. And what I just wrote down here, which I know all of us uh, majority going to be doing, is more floor and groundwork. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's it. 
if you don't spend it, you know, yeah, if, if you don't have, if you don't have a, an audit ability, I can guarantee spending, spending more time on the ground will do you well. Like, and this can be literally rolling around on the ground, just spend some time, you know, rolling around, going through, uh, getting up, getting down off the ground, finding different ways to challenge yourself, getting up and getting down. Um, Dan John, who I, yeah, is yeah. a phenomenal strength coach. And I believe you had him on your, your yep. podcast. Yep. Um, you know, he will give the, a warm up challenge where, okay, lay down, stand up. Okay. Now lay down and put one hand on your same side knee and stand up without taking that hand off that knee. Okay. Now do it on the other side. And you find this is like, that's the definition of play. Like, He's basically saying, okay, now you have no leg. Get up without using one of your legs. You you make these small little hurdles. And, you know, know, playing is define the rules of the game, create the obstacle, and then figure out a way to overcome it. Outside of that, all the other rules are. All I know is I can't take my hand off off this knee. I just need to get up however I want to. I love it. And there's a lot of different ways you can can do that. But, yeah, that that, if nothing else, I'll – piggyback on yours as well if you don't have any gaps spend time on the floor you can always get more more benefit out of spending time on the floor i love it well uh is there anything you wanted to add or anything we missed you wanted to share before we wrap up um i'd say the only other thing you know because they said this you know these are this for people that are that aren't necessarily coaches that are working out and they're trying to yeah don't ex- don't demand perfection out of yourself in terms of the workout because this is something that I, I often have to talk to to my clients about. I even talk to my wife about it. You know, if you only have twenty minutes to work out, but you think you should be doing sixty, don't just forego the twenty minutes because you can't get the sixty. Get, do what you can get in. Like, you know, there's a, there's always an opportunity, and I'm not just saying just move, but look look for ways where don't let perfection be the enemy of good enough. Like, you know, allow yourself to get your your workouts in and don't get frustrated at yourself because if you have small kids, if you have a hectic job, that 30 minutes can be, can be plenty of time to get you into a good place with your, your fitness and wellness. Oh, 100%. I mean, I have, uh, I have probably like a go-to of five things that I do and some of them. And again, this is just, just my experience, but like my go-to is like, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do a five minute snatch test right now. Five minutes, one and done hundred snatches and, and, and it was good. And, you know, I'll, it depending on how I feel that day, I might go super light or I might go heavier if I'm feeling mm-hmm. great, but it goes exactly. a long way. I have, the, I have the same. If, if I have, if I have nothing else, I got 10 minutes of 10 swings on the minute for 10 minutes. I get a hundred swings in. I'm feel good. It only took me 10 minutes and I, I move on with my day. It's a win. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, hey, uh, once again, I am uh, so thankful for taking the time, especially during this capitalization time of nap time. Um, so thank you for joining and a uh, ton of great stuff in here. So I really appreciate it, man. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the conversation. And, and yeah, this is great. So I, I thank you. All right. Thanks again, guys, for tuning into the Movement Code podcast. This episode with Matt, again, this was this is one of my favorite thus far. And I just really love the the simplicity and the mindset and the philosophy behind Matt's message. Um, and again, keep in mind, just based on the title, right? Just because it's simple does not mean it's easy. We try to overcomplicate things, but yet we oftentimes, we want to make sure that we are going through this um, this audit process, if you will, um, this kind of um, keep ourselves accountable to make sure that we're not just getting stagnant. If, if you will. So for instance, in this challenge that we want to do is, is we're looking at kind of our audit and our programming. And that can be done in a number of different ways, right? Like, are you doing all push, no pull? Are you doing all squats, no pull? Um, are you are you only hitting the accessory work for the lower extremity, not your shoulders or the upper extremity, right? And there might be reasons why you're doing that, right? We want to be able to focus the attention, but oftentimes we just get into this, this kind of... Um, this program where we're just doing the same thing over and over because we're supposed to do the same thing over and over, right? And and one of the things that, again, as I as I noted and indicated, going through my audit process, like I'm not doing enough groundwork, and groundwork is so phenomenal for a number of different reasons. When I'm tight, 
I usually know I'm not doing enough groundwork. What is groundwork? Maybe Turkish skittles. Maybe it's just rolling on the ground as far as switching into like some different stretches or positions or it could be crawling. Um, you know, there's there's no right or wrong for that. And, um, and we'll throw out another podcast now that I'm saying this right now and talk a little bit more about groundwork, some of the benefits of groundwork and some of the things that you could do because oftentimes people are like, I don't even know what the hell groundwork is. So that's your challenge this week. Go through this little awareness audit system kind of see where you're missing some things, see where what gaps could be filled. And if you don't know, this is a great time to maybe reach out, even if it's a consult with a trainer. You don't have to go through their whole extensive program, but maybe you just need to be like, hey, I need a coach. I need you to look at what I'm doing so I can get a little bit frame of reference of maybe what I'm missing and I want to try it on my own. That that there's 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 so much value into that. Um, you know, we reach out to coaches for a number of different things, just basically, hey, I'm stuck on this. I don't need to maybe go through this whole thing, but I just need a little bit of help working through this one aspect. So if you don't have a coach, um, you're more than welcome to reach out to me and I'll either try to connect you if you want someone local or we are more than happy to go through that audit awareness system with you to try to help you fill in those gaps. So once again, thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week or whatever point that you're listening to this and uh, move well. And thanks for tuning in. Bye.